You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me today... For maybe the biggest episode we have ever done as we preview Georgia's matchup with Alabama for the National Freaking Championship is my longtime co-host, Curtis. Look, all of you out there, you know what's at stake. You don't need me to tell you that. And our goal today is to do our very best to rise to the occasion and bring it even harder than we normally do for today's episode. We've had a chance to do one of these back in January 2018, long time ago. Really, I guess not that long ago. I mean, yeah, it was only four years ago, but I don't know about you guys, but for me, those four years feel like about a quarter century or so. But here we are with another chance to do what has not been done in 41 years, right back where we were four long years ago set to once again face the evil empire for a shot at eternal glory. And I promise you, we will break it all down from every angle in just a minute. But first, I do want to remind you guys about our good friends at Alumni Hall. If you're looking for Orange Bowl gear, if you're looking for like pre-national championship gear, and heck, if we maybe possibly, who knows, please dear God, somehow end up winning this national title, Alumni Hall will have you covered for all your national championship gear and memorabilia. They've got anything and everything with a G or a Bulldog logo on it that you could possibly want, whether it's clothing, whether it's tailgate accessories, whether it's car accessories, hats, whatever it is, I'm telling you, Alumni Hall has got you covered. So make sure to check them out today online at alumnihall.com or if you happen to be in the wonderful Classic City, you can also stop in in person inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City. All right, we love Alumni Hall. They're awesome. Go shop there. Get all your Georgia stuff there. But we've got some more important stuff to talk about today. No offense to Alumni Hall. This is a big one, guys. This is a big one. So, Curtis, it's go time, man. We're going to spend the vast majority of this episode focused on the X's and O's and what's going to happen on the field of play, which is kind of what we do on this podcast. But first, I do kind of want to throw a little bit of a curveball at you. I want to address a narrative that I've seen and I've heard developed throughout the last week or so. And I've heard it from all corners. I've heard it from the college football media. I've seen it on social media. I've seen it on message boards. I've heard it out and about just talking to people. And that is the notion that this game, this national championship against Alabama represents a crossroads for the Georgia program. That if we don't win it this year... It's just not going to happen or Kirby Smart. Josh Pate, who some of you guys I'm sure are familiar with him, he does a really good job running a national casual podcast for 247 Sports, and he called it, quote, a crossroads inflection point for Kirby Smart and said that if we don't beat Bama on Monday night, that, quote, the tenor shifts from always thinking that there are better things, that the best is still yet to come to... I wonder if we're ever going to get it done. So, Curtis, let's start here, man. I'm curious. I just want to hear your take on this. How much stock do you put into that notion? 
I don't put as much stock into it. I mean, it feels like it in the moment, and I think everyone's looking at it in the moment, and everyone's caught up in the moment. But I saw a stat on Twitter or, um, earlier this week comparing the first six seasons of Kirby Smart to the first six seasons of Nick Saban in his entire career. And Kirby, I believe, had almost 20 more wins, um, four more bowl wins, uh, more division titles, same number of conference titles, um, all these things. And I know Nick Saban started at a lesser program, but the fact of the matter is Kirby in his first six years has accomplished more than almost any other coach has in their first six years. I mean, how long did it take Dabo to win his first natty? More than six years. And I, and I think that's the thing is Kirby's being judged against these people who have been in this pro, been in the profession a lot longer, at least at the head coaching level. And so it's, it's a little bit unfair to him. And I know that's just, that's the measuring stick nowadays for everyone because coaches are being fired left and right. Um, but in my opinion, I, yes, I think it's a must win game almost and all these other things, but that's also me thinking in the moment, if I'm thinking big picture, I'd have to be honest and say that Georgia is in a lot better position now than they were six years ago when Kirby first took the job. Yes, I, I agree. Look, our program was not a train wreck when he took over. Mark Rick laid an incredibly strong foundation. Yes, it got stale towards the end, and he had to kind of rebuild things and get things back humming. He did a fantastic job of doing that. I think in a lot of ways what you can say, and I kind of always say this about Kirby, he is a victim of his own success right now. Like, really, that's what's happened. Like, he has come in, he's raised the bar, he's raised the level of expectation within the Georgia fan base, and when we don't quite meet that elevated level of success and those expectations that people now have in the program based off what Kirby Smart has come in and done in this program, then all of a sudden the narrative becomes, well, Kirby Smart's just not a good coach. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're measuring him against this criteria that he has established based on the success that he's already had. And you're right, Curtis. You look around the country. What first-time head coach in his first five, six years in the job has had the kind of success right off the bat that Kirby Smart has? I don't know if people want to say Lincoln Riley had a lot of success. Also played in the Big 12. You know what? Lincoln Riley's never won a college playoff game. Kirby's done that twice. So I would argue like, Kirby's been more successful than Lincoln Riley in his first couple of years. And you mentioned Nick Saban, Curtis. I mean, I, I love that. Go back, I mean, go back to Toledo. Uh, what was he, 9-2 and two at Toledo? Then he goes to the NFL at Michigan State. He was 6-5, 6-6, 7-5, 6-6, then 9-2 and two in 1999. Parlays that into the LSU job. First year at LSU goes 8-4, and four, then 10-3, and three, then 8-5, and five, then boom. In year 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. In year 10 of his head coaching career, Nick Saban hits it big, wins the national title at LSU in 2003. We're sitting here, what, year, year 6 of the Kirby Smart era and he's already playing for his second national title now he has not won one that is the that is the criticism but he's got about as close literally as close as you can without actually winning one so this narrative it's kind of lazy to me i get what people are saying because what the the idea is that you look at mark rick right well because early i know kurt you're younger than me but i don't know if maybe maybe you remember this maybe not i don't know but early in the mark rick tenure the narrative around him was it's just a matter of time until he wins a national title. And we got really close a couple of times. And then it just started kind of fade away a little bit year after year after that point. Like once we reach a certain, I guess, inflection point as Josh Pate wants to call it. So I see people are trying to make that comparison. You know, that was the narrative for a long time with Mark Rick and look how that ended up. And now they're trying to apply that same logic to Kirby Smart. My argument would be is that Kirby Smart is not Mark Rick. I love Mark Rick deeply. I, I have so much respect for that man and so much affection for him as a person and what he's done for our program. But Kirby Smart is a different animal when it comes to running our program from an organizational standpoint and clearly from a recruiting standpoint. He's taken everything up about 17 different notches. So my my assertion would be, even if we lose this game, and look, you know if we lose this game, Curtis, all those critics are come out of left field. They're coming, man. They're coming for him. Doesn't matter how close he got and how good we were all year. He didn't win it. So let's time to it's time to just rip Kirby Smart apart. But even if we lose, we're not just gonna stop recruiting at an elite level. That's not going to happen. I know people want to say, well, look at Butch Jones. You know, Butch Jones was recruiting really well, but eventually, you know, he didn't win at a high level. So that message started to fall on, on deaf ears and the recruiting, you know, went by the wayside. It started to slip. Butch Jones never played for a national title, guys. Butch Jones never even played for an SEC title. It's a different animal here, all right? We're not going to just stop recruiting at an elite level. We're always going to have one of the, if not the most talented rosters in all of America. And I would argue that we are positioned, even, even if we lose, we are still moving forward 
year after year in the long term over the next decade or so, I as long as Kirby Smart is here, I believe we will still be positioned as well as anyone out there in America to unseat Bama, to become the next Bama. Now, is that a guarantee it's going to happen? No, of course not. But who's better positioned out there to be that next program, Curtis? Clemson's are kind of fading at this point. Maybe you could say Ohio State. They're always going to be in that conversation. But they have major defensive issues. they got to figure out that side of the ball. And who knows that's going to happen. That's two years running now. That's cost them. Um, Oklahoma, maybe you could have made the argument now with, with Lincoln Riley leaving. I don't know. Do you say USC? I mean, who else in the country? Maybe Michigan is positioned as well as us moving forward to be that next team. And that would be my argument there. So I don't really buy it. I understand where people are coming from when they say it. I, I get where the narrative, it, it, where it kind of originates, going back to the Mark Rick years. But for me, honestly, I, I just don't buy it. You can call me a Kirby homer if you want. That's fine, whatever. But that's just kind of how I view it at this point. But, but all right, Curtis, let's move on here. The next thing I want to address right off the bat, that's kind of a little bit more related to what's going to happen on the field, but maybe not quite X and O level stuff. We got to talk about the injury situation for Alabama. For Alabama, here's what we know, Curtis. We know there's no John Mechie out for the year ACL. We know there's no Josh Joe out for the year. We know there's no Dalcourt at center, starting center for the vast majority of the year. We know those guys are out for this game. Now, here's what's up in the air. Maybe no Jalen Armour Davis starting corner out opposite Josh Joe, the other the other starting corner all year long. He got hurt. Uh, there, he was questionable to play in the Sugar Bowl, or not Sugar Bowl, in the Cotton Bowl. He did play, was 100%, left that game. We also know that Chris Owens, starting right tackle, and Emil Ekior, starting right guard, both went out of the Cotton Bowl against Cincinnati. And their status, I mean, look, Nick Saban was not going to tell us anything, but I would say questionable at this point. We don't know. Um, so, but, Curtis, how much of a role will those injuries play in the eventual, out- eventual outcome of this game? I think they're going to play huge roles, especially um, when you talk about Jalen Armour St. Davis, I believe is what it is. Um, That's a huge loss. And I think the biggest reason why when you're looking at it is the fact is that they are already down one starting cornerback. And I believe Malachi Moore is stepping in for Josh Job, which if I'm correct, there's not as big of a drop off there. But the fact is now you're almost at your number four guy starting at cornerback. Um, yeah, Malachi, Malachi Moore, if you guys don't know that, it started at the star position last year for Alabama as a true freshman. Yeah, and so like he's not a big drop off from Job realistically, but there is going to be a bigger drop off now instead of your one and two guys or even one and three, you're now looking at three and four. So that's going to be a huge problem because they may even have to move someone from the star position into the uh take that position at cornerback and what does that do that's going to hurt them because their star guy is going to be the one that's mainly matched up against brock bowers or someone one of the tight ends or someone in the slot which is where we can actually hurt them the most realistically with what we're already working with in our team and our 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 skill position it does create all sorts of issues for them it does and then you look at the offensive line without those guys um you they're going to be very similar to what they had to do against last game i mean even pretty much close to 100%, they were having to go max protect to keep us from getting pressure. And that's with being, for the most part, healthy. So down those two guys, plus starting center, as you already mentioned, it's going to be questionable for them. Like I wouldn't be shocked if they had to go back to a more of a max protect type of scheme because they just don't have the bodies. If that was already their, their scheme when they were healthy, what are they going to do when they're not truly healthy? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. We know that Kool-Aid McKinstry was, has not been a starter all year long. He's a former five-star guy. He's a freshman uh, coming out of Alabama. And so he's he's a highly talented player. He had to start for them uh, uh, opposite Jalen Armour Davis in the Cotton Bowl against Cincinnati. And he's a good player. He actually played against us, started against us in the SEC Championship game. And we had some success against him, hitting some balls vertically down the field. And we also had some success against him drawing interference calls. So he's going to play one of those spots. And if Armour Davis is out, you're right, it might be Malachi Moore moving him into cornerback or could potentially be Kyrie Jackson, who was a big-time Juco recruit coming out last year. So there's some options there, but the bottom line is they're potentially going to be without both starting cornerbacks, the guys who started all year for them. And that is an issue. You mentioned the issue matching up with Brock Bowers and just kind of having a mix and match. And somewhere there's going to be a weak spot. Now you got to figure out who, who do you on our team, do you really want to try to take away? You put your better – guys that you trust more on those guys. But I think that we are 
well-rounded enough and have enough guys that can make plays, whether it's Jermaine Burton, whether it's Lad McConkey, whether it's Brock, whether it's Darnell Washington, whether it's our running backs, we have enough guys that can make plays out in space in the passing game that whoever it is that they put out there who might not be up to snuff and might not be a guy that would otherwise be playing for them, I think we can potentially take advantage of that. So I don't know, Curtis. Like, we'll see. We don't really know. We probably won't know until game day or certainly much closer to game day. But, Kurt, let's just say for argument's sake that Jalen Armour Davis is out, Chris Owens, and Emil Echior are out of this game. What is the bigger issue for Alabama? Is it the secondary issues, those, those shortcomings, or would it be the offensive line issues? I would go with the secondary um, because, right, they're – I felt like the biggest difference in that game, yeah, we gave up the big plays defensively, but the fact was that we weren't able to do enough, especially in the second half against that team. And if we're able to run the ball with any success and could hit them with some play actions and things like that, you could make you can make bigger things happen. Because what we're truly – the matchup that's most important is our offense against their defense, in my opinion. That's the, that's the one that's going to decide the game. And that's why I'm going to go with that matchup. Yeah, I hear you, man, and and that's a strong argument. I think I might go the other side here. I mean, you're making a really good argument there. I might go offensive line, though, because I think one of the keys to the loss, the reason, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons, one of the primary reasons why we lost Alabama the first time around is we simply did not get enough pressure on Bryce Young. Now, part of that was schematic and just our fault, not trying to bring enough pressure, but we need to be able to affect Bryce Young more consistently. And if you're already down a starting center and then you're potentially down a starting right guard and a starting right tackle, basically the entire right side of your offensive line against our defensive front, that is a problem. That is a major issue for Alabama. That is, I believe, going to give us more of an opportunity to get pressure on Bryce. Maybe even get pressure without bringing extra bodies when you're going, basically you got backups coming in on the entire right side of your offensive line. Look, J.C. Latham at guard who came in for Owens, he's a highly talented guy. I think he was a five-star last year. He's a true freshman, man. That's not going to work out well for them against our defensive front, against our front six. It's just not. So if that allows us, if they're out, and we don't know, but if they are, and that allows us to get more consistent pressure on Bryce Young, I think that could be the thing that swings this game potentially in our favor. I really do. I really do. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, let's talk about the rematch within the rematch. Now, we all came into the SEC Championship game back in early December with people asking if this Georgia defense was potentially the greatest defense of all time. We had multiple mailback questions about that. But we left the game with an entirely different conversation with words like exposed, overrated, fraudulent, being thrown around to describe our defense as we did give up 536 total yards which was 149 yards more than we had previously given up in any single game all season long. Gave up 41 points, which was more than double the previous high we gave up on the season, which was 17 against Tennessee. And on top of all that, that's not bad enough. We surrendered an SEC championship game record 421 yards passing to Bryce Young. Disgusting. Don't even want to think about it. But anyway, you slice it. Simply not good enough. So Curtis, as far as I'm concerned, One of two things is true. Either that was just an aberration, 
and represented the most extremely atypical performance that our defense has in it? Or the other possibility here is that a dynamic offense, the nature of Alabama's, is just our kryptonite, and we aren't built to stop that. So if you had to pick one of those extremes, Curtis, which one is it? Um, I would actually go with the fact that um, we just didn't show up as much. Um, and, and the reason is I still think Alabama is an amazing offense. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we're, it's going to be a tough matchup either way. They're going to score some points. But the fact was, as much as anything, it was, our scheme was not where it needed to be. We were, and people were not reacting. We were making them think more out there. Going away from what we had done all year um, made no sense now that when we look back on it and you see what it did to our team, um, especially in this secondary. And then the fact that we got absolutely – we didn't get Bryce Young on the ground. I know we got some pressure per se, but it wasn't enough At to times. disrupt him. Yeah, exactly. And I and that's why I think and Alabama's really good. Like I said, they're gonna get their points, but we didn't help ourselves at all. No, it's almost like we outsmarted ourselves. I know that's like an old cliche, but I think in some sense it's true when it came to our defensive game plan. Like we got too cute, too fancy, and just went away from what got us there. Like to me, I always go like I understand you wanna you wanna break tendencies to a degree and you wanna show them something a little different they haven't seen before to a degree. But on some level, Chris, don't you have to just keep doing what got you there? Can yeah, you keep dancing the same dance that got you to that point. I think that's what you got to do. And we just got away from that too much. I think we just overthought it. I think we got into our heads and kind of outsmarted ourselves. I really believe that. I mean, and, and look, it was an atypical performance. We're going to talk about this more later on. I got some more examples for you. But we did some things in that game, not even just from like a schematic standpoint, but just from like a mental standpoint. We did some things in that game that we just haven't done all season. You know, blowing multiple coverages that they exploited for big big plays. And guys, when you blow coverage like that, you can get away with it against Vanderbilt, against Kentucky, teams like that. Alabama's going to exploit it. You're just not going to get away with it. You just simply are not. And they absolutely took advantage of those opportunities. And we just we did not play our game. We didn't play our game schematically. We didn't come in with the right game plan. And then once we were there in the game, we simply just made mistakes that were very atypical of this defense, things that we had not been doing really all season long. So I would lean more towards that. And you're right, Curtis, this Alabama offense is fantastic. I've been on record saying many times this year, I don't think they're as dynamic as they have been in years past, but that's all relative. That's relative to the standard they've set. Kind of like Kirby Smart's victim of his own success. I think you can say the same thing about this Alabama offense. Yeah, they're not as good as the past couple of years, but they're still really freaking good by any, any other measure, anyone else's standards. But, you know... There is something to be said that we maybe don't match up with Alabama as well as we do against a team like Michigan. I've been open saying that for for months now, pretty much all season, talking about Alabama and Ohio State's offenses and that and those potential matchups. So there is that concern, but I don't think it's that the Alabama offenses are kryptonite that we are incapable of stopping. No matter what we do, if we play them ten times, they're going to put up five hundred plus yards in eight of those games. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I do think that we can play the better and i do think we can have some answer for some of the things that they do and just certainly put on a better performance give give ourselves more of a chance to win this football game so curtis if that's the goal here obviously it is to win the game that's why you play what exactly do we need to do defensively to make sure that that kind of performance does not happen again in the national championship um, I think one thing that really stands out is the fact that we cannot give up the big play. Um, it's as simple as that. That was our that was what killed us, just giving up the huge plays, the big chunk plays that got their offense going. You think back to the touchdown, James, both touchdowns, Jamison Williams. Those were backbreakers, realistically, when you look at the fact of just what they did to us at the time. Leaving John Mechie wide open right before the half on a third down, third mm-hmm. long. Can't do yeah, it. You can't do things like that. I absolutely can't do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, man. Here's – all right, Curtis, we talked, even going back the, right in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of the SEC championship game, we talked about it on the show. We got a ton of questions about it, bringing more pressure. Do you still think, now that you've had some time to digest what happened and think more about it, do you still think that we need to bring more pressure? And what I mean by that is bring more than four pass rushers on a more consistent basis trying to get after Bryce Young. I think there will be times, yes, I do think we need to mix it up some more and uh, maybe do it a little bit more. But also at the same time, we just can't, sit there and only bring pressure up the middle like we did a majority of the time going right into their max protect and made it easy for them. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think we were very concerned about two things offensively for them. We were concerned about them beating us vertically through the air. So we played such soft zone coverage for portions of the game. Even, in, even when it was man, we were playing like soft bail man technique stuff. And again, that's just playing passive that way is just not what we do. That's just not what this Georgia defense is, is been, has been doing all year long. It's not what we're built to do. We were doing something very, very different there schematically. But I think that was part of it. And the other part of it was we were scared to death of what Bryce Young could do if he escaped the pocket. So I think the goal was to try to contain him in the pocket as much as possible. And then when he's in the pocket, do not allow him to hit those vertical shots down the field. Now we failed in both regards, both respects. Like we, we didn't really accomplish the goal, either one of those goals. But Curtis, I went back uh, and watched the SEC championship game again. Uh, I took one for the team over the past couple of days, went back and, and really dug right back into it. And I wanted to, cause I want to look at this pressure thing. It's like, I, you know, watching it first glance, you know, watching it live, I had those same thoughts as everyone else. Like, we need to bring more pressure. So I wanted to do a more uh, in-depth study to give, you know, some to put some more numbers behind this, to put some more actual verifiable data behind those just, you know, off-the-cuff thoughts watching the game live. And so, look, this is, I will admit, this is certainly very uh, amateur hour. Uh, I'm not a professional, and I certainly could have missed something here. But, again, I went back and I watched it a couple different times, actually, watching each play a couple different times. And I wanted to count how many times throughout the game that we brought more than four rushers. Because that's what I define as a blitz. When I say bring pressure, I'm talking about bringing more than four pass rushers. So I went back and counted up. And I could have missed something. And sometimes it's hard to tell because the, the picture gets muddied and the camera work, it, it moves different places. But based off my rewatching of that game, I counted 18 times that we brought five or more pass rushers, okay? And that's what well, it was 18 times out of, I believe, 44, 44 dropback attempts for Bryce Young. And in those 18 pressure situations where we brought five or more, 18 dropbacks, Bryce Young was five of 18 for 64 yards, averaged 3.5 yards per attempt, and no touchdowns. What that means is that when we rushed fewer than five, we brought three or four pass rushers only, Bryce Strong was 21 of 26 for 357 yards, 13.7 yards per attempt. We did blitz 40% of the time, which is honestly more than I thought watching it live. I thought it was more around like 25%, but it was 40% of the time. But those splits there, Bryce Young's numbers when we brought five or more pass rushers compared to when we when we brought four or fewer, that's an astronomical difference, Curtis. So what that tells me is absolutely we have got to dial up more pressure. It's that simple. Now, you're right. Can we do that every single snap? No, of course not. At this level, you can't do any one thing every single time. you got to mix it up, even mix up the looks, mix up who's coming, mix up where they're coming from. Certainly going to be some cases where you're bringing three and four guys, you're dropping guys in the coverage. you got to mix it up and keep them guessing. Guy that good, of course. But the fact is, we've got to bring more pressure. We've actually got to dial up the blitz and bring more than four rushers on a more consistent basis. Because again, I'll read those numbers one more time. The 18 snaps when he dropped back the pass that we brought five or more rushers, he was five of 18 for 64 yards, 3.5 yards per attempt, no touchdowns. When we rushed fewer than five, 21 of 26, 357, 13.7 yards per attempt. It's night and day. It's night and day. And also I'll add this. When we didn't bring pressure, like we were all bringing three or four, a lot of times we were just doing a mush rush. If you go back and watch it, our defensive linemen are not really trying to penetrate upfield and actually affect Bryce Young. They're trying to keep him in the pocket. And I understand the impulse to do that because he is dangerous. I think he's most dangerous when he does escape the pocket. But when the byproduct of that is allowing him to sit back there all day long and just pick you apart, you've got to be more aggressive. So we've got to be more aggressive in terms of bringing pressure. And then when we don't bring pressure, when we're still only rushing three or four, you have to allow those three or four rushers to actually rush the passer to try to affect Bryce Young. So for me, that's what you got to do. And I think on top of that, it's not just pressure. I think we also need to play tighter man principles behind it. Now, Curtis, there's a catch 22 there because when you have a guy as talented as, as Jamison Williams is, when you play tight press man coverage, and you have a talented quarterback like Bryce Young, there is certainly an increased likelihood that they could potentially burn you for some deep vertical shots. So are you with me there, Curtis? Are you willing to take that risk and play tighter man principles behind that pressure? 
I am, it's, it's, it, but it's going to put a lot of pressure on the safeties. I will admit that is true, yes, but we can't. We're going to, I mean, we can't give them free releases off the line. Hey, look, Bama's really good at getting free releases. They do a good job stacking receivers. and and Because when you stack a receiver, you simply can't press them. They're off the line of scrimmage. You can't press them. So they do a really good job. Of that. I would give them credit. It's not like, you know, they don't have really good coaches who are who understand what we're trying to do. And they, and they, they obviously have ways to counteract that. But we've got to play tighter man principles. And you're right, Curtis. I don't love our safeties on on the receivers. But here's here's where we come back to John Mechie being out, Curtis. If Jameis, like outside of Jamison Williams, who really scares you in that receiving group? Um, no one's scared. I mean, Ja'Cory Brooks can make stuff happen, but he doesn't scare me like John Mechie, who's a seasoned veteran. I mean, to me, Corey Brooks, he's fine. He, he's like our guys. Like he's 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 Jermaine Bird. He's that kind of guy. Now I, I, Billingsley is a guy who's done who's done some things and made some plays in the past, but like he it's just up and down. His playing time is up and down. You know, like he's sometimes in the doghouse, sometimes he's not. I, he just hasn't made a significant impact all year long. And I think that's where John Mechie being out really comes into play here. Because yes, there are certainly. You make yourself vulnerable to getting up those big plays that I agree with you, Curtis. We certainly need to limit against Alabama. Absolutely. But it's less of a factor when you only have one of those two elite receivers to contend with. Slade Bolden can make some plays sure and get single coverage, like if they scheme him open, but he's not going to consistently be somebody one-on-one. He's just not going to. Brooks, you know, he had a touchdown against against Cincinnati. It was a nice play, but he hasn't shown that he's going to consistently do that. So I think having that one elite receiver to contend with where you can potentially bracket him and you feel more comfortable playing those other guys one-on-one in man coverage, I think that helps to a degree trying to, you know, differentiate the game plan defensively in terms of what we did the first time around and what we're going to hopefully be able to do this time around. Um, but all right, Curtis, despite the defensive struggles in the first matchup, it was our offense. You you spotlighted this earlier, Curtis. You said that you think this game's come down to our offense versus Bama defense. And despite those struggles that we had defensively in, in the first game, it was our offense. We all know specifically Stetson Bennett that I feel like shouldered most of the outrage coming from the Georgia fan base following the SEC championship game. But offensively, honestly, Curtis, I, I really do. I feel like we actually played pretty well until we had to go into overdrive t- trying to come back from a multi-touchdown deficit we were out of our wheelhouse out of our comfort zone as we've talked about and then we know what happened the rest is history and but then last week in the orange bowl we come back and we might have put together our best and most complete offensive effort i think that argument can certainly be made especially when you adjust for opponent strength and you think about how good michigan was throughout this season so curtis here's my question about the offense versus bama defense what did you see in the SEC championship in the matchup between the Georgia offense and the Bama defense that you feel like maybe we can build off of in this rematch? Um, There were two things that really stood out. I thought we were really good schematically. Um, I thought the scheme was that Tom Munkin came up with was just really spot on. And not only that, but we actually executed the plays. I mean, against Alabama, you go back to it, especially the last two years we played Alabama, there were people open. We just did not execute um you go back to that t- that interception to brock um i can't remember who it was but behind him over the middle someone was coming open now it's been a couple weeks but someone behind him was coming open for a touchdown and we just didn't hit him um, a lot of these plays were just lack of execution um and so that those are the two things that really stood out to me that we executed and you know todd monken did as usual in my opinion of getting people open what do you uh, if you are todd monken i agree with you but if you are todd monken what's your game plan coming to this game how are you attacking this alabama defense I mean, you got he he has to stay committed to the run a little bit more. Um, I think it's totally the biggest agree. thing we can't. I know we kind of had to get away from it because we got behind, as you mentioned, we had to kick into overdrive almost. But we are going to have to stay a little bit more committed to the run to try to stay a little bit more balanced to take some pressure off sets because he's not a drop back. He's not a drop back passer. Um, if, and it could either be using him in the run game or you know even doing some of these short passes to the right to the running backs out of the backfield. The fact is, we can't try to become a drop back team because that's just not who we are with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback. 100%. And that's exactly what I have in my notes here, man. So what did I see going back and re-watching the SEC championship again that I feel like we can build off of going in the national championship game? And at the top of my list is run the freaking football. I thought we had a fair amount of success running the football. Now, we weren't running all over them, but we had just about 100 yards between our three running backs, between McIntosh, Cook, and Zeus. We had just about 100 yards rushing on 22 carries. So just a little bit under five yards per carry. 
this Alabama defense has been a top five rush defense all year. So when you're averaging close to five yards per carry against that defense, you're doing something pretty well. I thought when we ran the ball, we had enough success. In fact, I think that we can have more success running the football in this game if we stay committed to it. And here's one of the reasons why, guys. If you watch that game closely, when we went with heavy offensive personnel, talking about 12 and 13 personnel, which we talked about last week, one running back, two tight ends, one running back, three tight ends. Alabama did something very different than what is generally considered the, 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 the way to go when you are facing that kind of personnel grouping. Most teams like Michigan will respond with heavy defensive personnel. Their own. They'll bring in their base defense. So like if you're a base three, four, they'll actually bring in three defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers. You have seven guys in the box, right? The old cliche of your front seven was well, actually a front seven. Most of the time now you're in your nickel with like 85 plus percent of the time. It's really a front six, but old school when your base defense it's front seven. That's what Michigan did. And that's what just about every other team does. However, Alabama chose not to do that. They did not match our heavy personnel offensively with heavy defensive personnel. Whenever Brock Bowers was on the field, they were in nickel. They treated Bowers as a wide receiver. So for me, if we come out there with two tight ends, especially with three tight ends, and they're sitting there in a nickel package, we need to run the freaking ball right down their damn throats. That's what we need to do. And we actually had a pretty good amount of success doing that in the first half of the of the first matchup. We just got behind and completely abandoned the run and got away from that. That is something that I think that we can definitely exploit because I don't think they're going to do anything differently after we saw what Bowers was able to do against Michigan as well. They're very likely going to come out and do the exact same thing when we're in those heavy personnel looks offensively in 12 and 13 personnel. And I think we've got to be more committed to the run because that's what they're giving us. We talk about how our offense is really good at taking what the defense gives us. When they are using nickel personnel, when we're in 12 and 13 personnel, you've got to run the freaking ball. They're giving us that. We've got to take that, of course, work play action off of that. But it's just too easy. We've simply got to do that. Now, of course, Brock Bowers had a huge game against Alabama the first time around. But we know that. when You you you, you could say on one hand, like, hey, let's get Brock Bowers to the football. We, we had some success doing that. Let's do it again. Well, we also know Alabama understands that too. And look, everyone tries to take Brock Bowers away every game. And Todd Munger does a fantastic job of finding ways to get this guy open no matter what. And I'm sure he'll find some ways to get him open in this game because he is our number one playmaker. But Curtis, you have to imagine that Alabama is going to be dead set on taking away Brock Bowers, just like we're going to be dead set on taking away Jamison Williams. Now, of course, for both sides, easier said than done. But let's say that Alabama is able to take Brock out of the game because that's the guy they're keying on. Who is it that you think is going to make those plays if it's not Brock Bowers? Who are we going to go to? Realistically, I mean, you've got to throw George in there, but the other two for me are Kiaris or Jermaine Burton. Um, I think those are the breakout, man. I do too. If I had to pick, those would be – the two slash three because I want to put George and we have to get him going, but I'm more trusting of the other two being healthy and being explosive. I want to say George too, but I've kind of said George each of the last two games and it hasn't exactly worked out that way. So I'm going to go with Kiaris. That's the guy that I have in my notes here uh, because he's shown some flashes. He's actually made some big plays. He made that catch and mission that called back, unfortunately. He's he's shown flashes being back to the old Kiaris. It's taken a while to get back to, to his old self coming off that knee injury. I think he's a guy that can certainly benefit if, if we're in 11 personnel. He can certainly benefit from extra added attention on Brock Bowers. I think can make them pay. I really, truly do, especially if they have issues in their secondary. The other guy with the here, Curtis, we had a question about him on the mailbag. It's Darnell Washington. He's only got nine catches on the year. He has really not been a factor in the passing game. And you know he wants the football. And he's out there running routes too. So if they're dead, like if we're in 12 or 13 personnel and they're dead set on take away Brock Bowers, that means Darnell is going to have a favorable matchup and he's probably going to win most of those matchups. So I would say watch out for Darnell Washington in this game. We can have his 2021 coming out party at the most opportune time. Just watch out for it. So I would say certainly Kiaris and Darnell Washington as well. Those be the two guys I've been looking for. Because look, they're going to try to take away Brock. They're going to try to take away James Cook. They know those are our two best playmakers, especially even in the passing game right now. And we got to find somebody who's going to step up and make those plays. I think we have those guys. It's just going to be fun to find out who it's ultimately going to end up being. All right, Kurt. I don't want to spend too much time talking about Stetson Bennett. 
we've done that ad nauseum really all season long. But we we talked about in the recap episode coming out of the Orange Bowl that Stetson responded from his worst performance to what I think is the best performance of his career. How much more confidence do you have in Stetson Bennett heading into this game against Alabama than you did leaving the SEC championship game? Um, maybe a little bit more realistically, not that much more, because like I said, it's a different animal. Alabama's not the type team. I mean, they're going to score more points than what Michigan did. They're going to put pressure on us to score where we're, where we're thinking we can't, or we're going to have to execute. We're going to have to make some skip points on this drive because if we don't match them point for point, we may be in trouble. And I don't care how good our defense is. I still, I still truly deep down believe they're going to score and Stetson's going to have to stay within himself. He's going to have to not look across and, you know, see the crimson and wet his pants or try to overcompensate to say, you know, he always talks about how he knows he's not the five-star. Well, keep that in your head when you're playing and don't try to make the five-star plays, make the plays that you know you can make. Um, but I just have to see him go out and do it because it's a different animal when he did it, what he did against Michigan and what he did against Alabama. Yes, I'm feeling somewhat better, but I'm still highly skeptical because of the difference and the pressure they're going to put, the pressure at the moment, and just the, the team that we are playing. It's a, it's our kryptonite at this point. Well, I'll maintain that he's not built to play a game like that where we get down multiple scores and we've got to come back and win. And we're well, out of not, not only being game. not only being down, but the fact is like you can't waste possessions against Alabama. It's as simple as that. Like you can't be like, oh, we didn't make it happen. I missed the wide open guy. We'll get him next time. No, you have to execute. I'm not saying like come back from de- being down, but just not having empty wasted possessions, which at times we have had. Yes, we we have, and I, but that was those were almost exclusively in the second half when we had almost abandoned the run game because we got so far behind. No, but I'm I'm talking about like throughout the season. Like okay, when we okay, played okay. teams gotcha. where it was like a whole quarter where we sat there and like that whole quarter of offense was dog crap. I mean, I can't count the number of times we talked about it throughout the season. Like, yeah, we played good these two quarters, but these two quarters are really bad. We can't have that yeah. offensively with him. No, no, oh, and, in and this certainly game. Not obviously against Alabama. Yeah, and that's my point. Like you can't get away with them. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I know it's going to sound crazy, but when I you know went back and rewatched the SEC championship game again, one of the things I took away from that game is, and just hear me out here, because I know this is going to just sound ridiculous, but I don't think Stetson played all that poorly for large parts of that game. Now, obviously, he made a debilitating mistake. The pick six was god-awful. That's 100,000% on him. And he can't do that. You simply can't make that kind of mistake. And I think there were two really bad throws. It was that one, the pick six, and then the one Three. in the first half, the first drive that should have been picked, should have been a pick six. Well, yeah, I guess so, that's fair. Yeah, I think those are the two like horrible decisions and horrible throws he made. The other pick, I mean, it was debilitating in the red zone, but like honestly, that was almost more Bowers' fault. He, he stopped on the route and allowed the defender to kind of jump in front of him. I don't put that a thousand percent. I mean, Stetson maybe put the ball in a danger and maybe he shouldn't throw the ball, but I don't think that was a, a terrible decision there. If you go look at the first half when we were actually running the football and we had our whole offense available to us and we were, again, in our comfort zone, as we keep saying, in the first half of that game, Stetson was 10 to 14 for 163 yards and two touchdowns. Now, the second half was a disaster. And that was, again, largely my opinion because we got behind and we got out of what we do offensively. We abandoned and the so run here's game. The thing. The drop here's the thing. I I do get what you're saying, but I have to be the devil's advocate. And you go back to the very first time we played Alabama with Stetson. Stetson threw for quite a few yards, and he had a great first half. We left yeah. leading, and then he crapped the bed the second half. And the fact is, like, he puts up these decent numbers statistically, but he also has those de- de- debilitating yes. turnovers or yes, decisions, which is it doesn't matter if he throws for over 300 yards. What matters are those two or three terrible yeah. throws that he cost us, and, and that's what he do you can't have those two to three i mean even go back to the michigan game think back i mean i know we were ahead but there was that time where he tried to throw across his body over the middle and that That should be it was almost it was almost picked and that's the thing like my heart dropped he played an amazing like it was an amazing game you talked about how like it was his best game ever but he still almost made the boneheaded play where you can't make that against alabama and, and that's what he has to be smarter about well i mean every game he has at least seemingly has at least one of those like oh my god what are you doing plays and he just can't have yeah can't one of those plays where you're like that's Alabama. What, yeah and, and that's my point like you he has to stay within himself like in that mission game nothing was going to come out of that throw like just take it and punt it and be done a punt 
in with Jake Kamara pinning them is a lot better than a pick where maybe they could even return for a touchdown or they get good field position. It doesn't matter, but the fact is you give them better field position if you just taken it and punted it. Like you have to be smart and stay within yourself. Yeah, I I agree with you, man. I agree with you. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, we are nearing the end here. Got a couple more things we want to talk about. But one of the things that we do on all of our preview episodes each week is that we always give you what we think are the keys to a Georgia victory, and we're going to do that again today. But, Curtis, I am going to approach it a little bit differently this time around. What I want you to do is give me a couple of things. I'm not going to put a number on them. Give me a couple of things that you think, if those things happen, we're going to be partying like it's 1980 in the Peach State. And we're just going to alternate on this. So you give me one, then I'll give you one. We'll kind of go back and forth, Curtis. So what's your first one? Um, it's It's been one of my things the last couple of weeks, and we got to win the turnover battle. Totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, in a game of this magnitude against two – very evenly matched teams from a talent standpoint. Number one and two in the 247 composite total talent ratings. The turnover battle can be the decisive thing, especially if those turnovers are converted directly into points, like, oh, I don't know, a pick six in the SEC championship game. It completely debil- it, it debilitates you. Those are debilitating turnovers. And Bama, they, you're right, Kurt, they won it. They were 2 nothing in the turnover battle, and those turnovers were very, very tough for us. They both, one took points off the board because it was inside the Bama red zone, inside their territory, and one was a pick six. So, I mean, almost like a 14, at least a 10, maybe even a 14-point swing there in a game that we lost by 17. Completely changed the game. Those turnovers absolutely changed the game. So we have to do a better a better job protecting the football and certainly a better job of forcing turnovers, which we haven't really done a great job of all year long. Obviously, against Michigan, we did a great job there. We need to keep that momentum going heading into the national championship game. All right, my first one here, Curtis, I'm going to go with red zone efficiency. We have been really good in the red area all year long, but we certainly were not against Alabama. Uh, Alabama had four trips inside our red zone by my count. They had two touchdowns, two field goals out of that. So they were 50% touchdown rate when we're only giving up touchdowns on 24% of opponent trips inside the red zone. And they scored on 100% of those trips inside the red zone when throughout the year we're only giving up scores 50% of the time that opponents get into the red zone. And then on the flip side, we only scored on two of five possessions inside the red zone. I'm sorry, we had touchdowns on two of five possessions inside the red zone, so 40% there. We only scored on 60% of our trips inside the red zone. So that difference right there, again, when you're talking about two teams that are very evenly matched, I agree with you, turnovers with the top of the list, but red zone efficiency, capitalizing on your opportunities to score, those are things that absolutely can determine the outcome of games of this magnitude against two teams that are as talented as these two teams are. So I think we have to be much more efficient offensively in the red zone, and we have to be more efficient defensively, keeping Bama from scoring touchdowns if they get the red zone. Because, Kurt, I do agree with you. They're going to move the football. They're that good. But it's going to be critical for us to hold them to field goals when they get into the red area. All right, where are you going next? Um, second is another thing I've been looking on or set, you know, harped on last time we played Alabama, and I think it's gonna be the biggest thing is we can't give up the explosive back breaking plays. Oh god, absolutely. And Bama makes a living off of those. And look, like obviously we know the percentage of scoring go way down the more plays you have to run in a drive because there's just more opportunities to screw it up, have a penalty, turn the ball over, or what miss a miss a throw, drop a pass, whatever it might be. So you can't give up those one or two play explosive drives. You can't do it. We're gonna have to force them to go 10 plus plays and and just grind it out and say, hey, if you do that consistently and you beat us, tip of the cap, that's that's fine. You guys are the better team. But I think you have to force Alabama to do that. I totally agree. Uh, my next one here, so I'm going to go third down efficiency. This is critical in every game, but again, in games like this, two very evenly matched teams, this can be one of those deciding factors. In the first matchup, Bama was 50% on third down. We were 25%. A big part of that was what happened in the second half. We abandoned the run, and we just got ourselves in the third long situations, which we clearly know we are not equipped to really do well in. 
That's not what Stetson Bennett's built to do. That's not what our offense is built to do. That's why I said coming into the Alabama game or coming into the, the Orange Bowl, the Michigan game, that one of the keys there was first and second down efficiency. And that kind of goes hand in hand here. If you want to be efficient on third down, you just can't be in third long. How are you? How do you keep yourselves out of third long? You're efficient on first and second down. And we did a masterful job of that. Our first down success rate was incredibly high against Michigan. And we absolutely need to find a way to carry that over into this game and stay out of third long situations because that is just not where we want to be offensively. All right, Craig, got any other, any other keys here? Biggest, I also think another thing is we have to get pressure. Um, we talked about it the whole game, but we have to find a way to get pressure and actually put Bryce Young on his butt. Yeah, that's also my notes here. I totally agree with you. And I'll read those numbers again one more time in case you missed it. Just make sure you have it. These are my calculations. There might be one or two off here, but based off my calculations, we brought five or more rushers, which to me is a blitz, 18, on 18 dropbacks against Alabama. Bryce Young was 5-18 for 64 yards, 3.5 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns in those situations. When we did not bring pressure, he was 21-26, 357 yards, 13.7 yards per attempt. I mean, it's just night and day, guys. The numbers speak for themselves. It is what it is. So I totally agree with you there, Curtis. I'll give you one more here, man. Um, I, I talked about it a few minutes ago. I think we either, A, have to get out to an early lead like we did against Michigan, because I do think we are built to be a front-running team. And look, we did against Alabama the first game. We were up 10 nothing, But then, of course, we have those explosive plays, as you mentioned, and we kind of let the game get out of hand. But we either have to get out to an early lead and keep that early lead, or even if it's not necessarily – us with the early lead, we have to stay close enough to where we can stay within ourselves offensively, stay within our offensive game plan. When we get down 17 points and we have to abandon the run and you can't really operate play action off that and Stetson Bennett's going with the drop back pass game, we're just not going to win. You can just go ahead and walk out of the stadium. We're just not going to win. It's just not going to happen. So I think either A, getting out to an early lead or staying within one score to where we are still going to be able to function within our game plan offensively. I think that's critical heading into this game. Uh, all right, Curtis, a uh, couple more things here. One thing I want to do here, this is something that we don't usually do, but what the hell, it's the last one of these, the 2021 season. So let's have some fun with this and do some national championship over-unders. We'll do this rapid fire, Curtis. I'm just going to read off some numbers to you, read off some names. I just want you to give me over, under. If you want to give me a, a quick little explanation, that's fine too, but we'll, we'll go rapid fire with this. All right. Over, under, 69 yards rushing for Brian Robinson. I'm going to go over. Okay, and, I, and that's not a random number. That would put him as, as the leading rusher against us all year. Nobody's run for more. No single player has rushed more than 69 yards against us all year long. So you're going to go over for, for Brian Robinson? Yeah, I think they're going to try to establish a run better this game. I think they're going to try to. I don't think they're going to have success doing that. So I'm going to go under, slightly under, slightly under on that. All right, over, under 300 yards passing for Bryce Young. Went for 421 in the first matchup. I'm going to go over. Um, I think it would just be a surprise if he didn't at least get 400. Yeah, I'm going to go over here. If I'm going to say Brian Robinson's going under 69 yards rushing, then I think I have to go over for Bryce Young because it means they're not running the ball well and they're going to have to throw it now. And that's okay. If he throws for 300, that's fine. We just have to make sure it's not an efficient 300, right? Keep them closer to 50% passing and certainly don't give those explosive plays. But I'm going to go over as well. I don't think he'll come near 400. At least I'm praying to God. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but I'm going to go over 300. Uh, this is a big one here, Kurt. I think this is a big key in this game. Over under 100 yards receiving for Jamison Williams. Uh, I think I'm going to go over just because the fact is he's so explosive. He can take in even short passes to the house. I'm going to go over as well because I think they're going to force feed him. Without John Mechie, he's just going to get the vast majority of their targets, and they might not be as explosive because certainly we're going to try to do some things to make sure that he's not able to do that. Not again, easier said than done, but I think he's just going to get such a vast number of targets that he'll go over 100 yards. All right, over under two sacks for Will Anderson. I'm going to go under. Yeah, we held him to one sack. Jamari Salyer's been playing lights out, man. I mean, he wasn't 100% healthy in the first matchup. Held him to one sack. I know he was against McClendon. He went against McClendon at times as well. But Jamari was a guy who, who played really well in that game at certainly less than 100%. And he played a lights out again against a Heisman Trophy finalist named Hutchinson. I think he's up to the challenge. I'm going to go under for Will Anderson. Over under 400 yards total offense for Alabama. I'm going to go over. Um I think they're going to try to be creative. As you saw, they were even running Jameson Williams uh, last week. 
Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over. I don't think it's gonna be significantly over though. I think it's gonna be over 400, but under 450. I don't think they're gonna put up 500 like they did last time. I think we're gonna make the the adjustments defensively. I think we're gonna play more of our game. I think some of the issues that they're having injury wise on offense on the offensive line, especially in, of course with John Mechie out. I think that's going to. I think that's going to hurt them. I really do. I believe that. I think we're going to take advantage of that. All right, let's get to our team here. Over under ninety yards for Brock Bowers and over one thirty in the first matchup. I'm going to go under. I think they're going to do everything they can to take him away. I agree. I think we're going to have to have somebody else step up and make plays, as we talked about earlier. I still think he's going to make plays, but I don't think he'll break the hundred yard mark. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm with you there. Over under one hundred and fifty team rushing yards for Georgia. I'm going to go under. I just don't see it happening. This is a top five rush defense, so that's probably you're probably on the right side of this, Curtis. However, I'm going to go over. If they come out again with that nickel package against 12 and 13 personnel, I think we've learned our lesson. And if we don't get behind and we're able to stay in the game and stay within our wheelhouse all game long, I think we're going to put up over 150. And then I'm and I'm going to I'm going to say adjusting for sack yardage on that as well. So I'm going to say over on that. Um, over under 41 yards receiving for George Pickens. Everybody wants to know about George. What do you think? I might go over for that because he could easily do that in one catch knowing George. Yeah, 41 is what he had in the first matchup. I'm going to go over. I, I don't think it's going to be like 100 yards. I, I, again, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm going to go slightly over there as well. All right, Curtis, uh, oh, last one here. Over under 64% completion for Stetson Bennett. That's right where he was against Alabama the first time around. I take the bat. That's, what, that, that's his season average. My bad. I'm an idiot. That's the season average. Under. I'm going over. I'm going over. I think if our defense steps up their game and we're able to stay within ourselves offensively, that Stetson is going to be able to do enough to win this game. I don't think he's going to be if I don't. He's not a liability. He's just not a liability when we're in our wheelhouse offensively. And if we can stay there, and there's no guarantee we can, because we weren't in the first matchup. But if we can. I think Stetson going to be efficient enough for us to win this football game and, and hit right around that 65% number. All right, Curtis, finally here, we're going to wrap things up with our official national championship game picks. Curtis, as everyone out there knows, you have very famously, or should I say infamously, picked against the dogs in each of the last two games, the SEC championship game and the Orange Bowl. You've gone 500 to doing so. You hit one, you missed one. So are you going for the trifecta this week? I am going to stick with the trifecta, and I hope Curtis. I end up only being I Don't hope I it. end up being thirty percent right. But the fact is, I have to go with my heart um, until I heart. see it. You happen. won't be able to win. Go with your head. No, I just in my heart I believe they will because okay, okay. I just I want to say they won't, but until it happens, I can't believe it from this team, from this coaching staff. I mean, you think back to when we played them last time, we go against what we've done all year to be a successful team and it blows up in our face. Like they've got to get it out of their head completely. In terms of roster and on the field matchups, do you really, does your gut really tell you that Bama is the better team? It tell, I I think deep down they may be the better coach team, the team that knows what they want to do and the team doesn't try to overthink it. And that's where I think the difference is. I mean, when we played them last time, we were the better, we were the better team, but you didn't see it on the field. Yeah, we played uncharacteristically poor. I, I I do agree with that. We certainly did. All right, give me a score. Uh, I'm gonna go thirty-four to twenty-seven. So closer, another yeah. another heartbreaker. <laughs> All right, man. Well, just just understand, we already we already have some listeners out there. I mean, hey, if they want to give me, if they want to give me a hard time, please do. I mean, if that if if they're able to give me a hard time, that means we won, and I can't. I will never be mad about that. I'll happily to eat crow on that situation. Yes, Curtis. You know, I love you, man, but I I I sincerely hope that you're gonna be eating heapfuls of crow for this pick, man. I really and do. I will do I really it happily. I mean, let's be honest. I will happily do it. I just hope you're wrong, man. I hope you're wrong. So that's your pick, Curtis. You're once again picking against the dogs. You've been 50-50 on that over the past two games. We'll see where the rubber match goes. But as for my pick, look, the way I'm looking at this game, and we've talked about this a little bit already throughout the episode, we clearly played very poorly the first time around in Atlanta back in early December. We did things in that game that, honestly, we just haven't done all year. It's a very atypical performance. 
Now, sure, yeah, you can say Bama did, th- did that to us, but honestly, like going back and rewatching that game again, not really. Like, not really. There were numerous blown coverages that not only were blown, but that, that they were able to exploit, which resulted in massive plays, like game-changing plays in that first matchup. We came out with a completely foreign defensive approach, doing things and, and just really approaching our defensive game plan in a way that we haven't all year long. We played very uncharacteristically poor red zone defense and offense for that matter. And then of course we committed a couple of debilitating turnovers and that was compounded by the fact that we didn't force any of our own. And outside of like the not forcing turnovers because we haven't really been great at that all year, those things, blown coverages like that, this crazy, weird, strange defensive approach, the poor red zone performance, those turnovers, those are things that we have not done all season long. Now, could all of those things happen again? Yeah, of course. Of course they could. However, what I would say to that idea, to that notion, is that, look guys, we have 14 data points to operate off of this season. And the SEC championship game, while it might still be fresh in a lot of our minds, and it might have scarred, it's just been the latest scar that Alabama has inflicted upon the Georgia fan base. I understand that. But that SEC championship game, that is the one single isolated data point out of 14 where we really played anything like that. If you look at this season as a whole in totality, one time to open the season, we played at a dominant level on one side of the ball and not so great on the other side of the ball and then eked out a win against what actually turned out to be a pretty good Clemson team, not an elite Clemson team, but a 10-win Clemson team. And then outside the SEC Championship game, the other 12 data points were examples of us just flat out dominating our opponents, beating them down into submission. So what that tells me is that the SEC championship performance is an outlier. That's not who we are. It tells us that, yeah, sure, we have that kind of letdown in us. We all saw it with our own two eyes, but that's not who we are. We are the team that went out and just flat out dominated opponents in 12 out of 14 opportunities this season. Now, again, as I said a few minutes ago, I know what some of you are sitting there saying to yourself. You're saying, yeah, Tyler, but that was Kentucky, and that was Auburn, and that was Arkansas. This is Bama. This is a different animal. And and that's fair. I will allow you that to a degree. But you know what? Michigan might not be Bama, but that's an elite football team. I don't care what we did to them. That doesn't mean that they weren't deserving and that they haven't been an elite team all season long, because I think they have been. It just means that we did that to an elite team. And again, I go back to what I said earlier, the poor performance against Bama was more about us and how poorly we played than it was about them. Sure, yeah, they absolutely, clearly, Bama has great players, and they had players that were able to exploit our mistakes and take advantage of all those mistakes in a way that other teams that we play this year have not been able to. That's fair. And if we do make those same mistakes again this time around, yeah, it's almost certainly going to be a similar result. I, I understand that. I'm not blind to that possibility. That that's possibility is certainly out there. But, but, I am betting on us being closer to the team that we were 12 times this year than the team we were in the one outlier of a performance against Alabama. And really, that's that's just what the odds say. I'm simply playing the odds here, guys. I'm just playing the odds. Could I be wrong? Yeah, I could be. But I'm just playing the odds. And if indeed we are that team on Monday night, I think we win. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I have zero concerns with Stetson being a quarterback based on his history against this team and this Alabama program. I understand that there are concerns out there, and I I share some of those concerns, at least to a degree. I don't think as as much as maybe a lot of you out there, but I'm with you to a degree there. But I'll also maintain what I've said all season. I still believe that we can win a national title with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback. Now, I don't think he will be the reason why we win. If that does, please, dear God, end up happening on Monday night. But as I have continued to say, if we play our game and we don't make those same mistakes made the first time around and allow this game to get out of our control, I have a lot of confidence that we can win this game with Stetson. 
And I do believe, as we talked about at the outset of the show, I do believe that Bama's injuries and some of those potential injuries, particularly the injury to Mechie, we know he's out, and those potential injuries to the right guard and right tackle, we also know their starting center is out. I think those injuries give us a better chance to keep this game within our wheelhouse offensively, as does my belief that we can run on this Bama defense based off what I saw the first time around. The key simply is just not letting Bama create too much separation on the scoreboard. The talent gap between these two teams is small, perhaps even infinitesimal, but I do believe we are the better team, and we have demonstrated that all season long, with the obvious glaring exception of the first time we played each other. But you know what? I haven't picked against the dogs all year long, and I sure as hell ain't starting now. 31-27, dogs on top. And if that does indeed happen, this might be the last podcast that we ever do because there's a very strong chance that I will just spontaneously combust there in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. Very strong possibility that could happen. But that's what I'm going with, guys. You heard it here. But thank you for listening. That's all we got for you guys today. As long as I don't spontaneously combust in Indy, we will be back next week to cover everything that happened. And I just, again, hope to God it's a lot of good news. I really do. We'll see what happens. But you guys got my prediction. You got Curtis's prediction. Wherever you're watching the game, I hope you guys have an awesome time with friends, family, loved ones. Just try your best to enjoy this moment. That's what I'm telling myself. In reality, I'm going to be an anxiety-ridden ball of nerves really all weekend. I haven't let myself listen to any podcast or check out any coverage throughout this week because I can't handle it right now. Um, so I, But I know as we get closer, I'm going to have to start to listen to some of that stuff, and it's going to hit me when you get in Indianapolis, and I'm going to be a ball of nerves. But I'm telling myself to try to enjoy it because these opportunities, these moments, these kind of games don't come around often. So let's embrace it. Let's enjoy it. And you guys know the drill. As always, go dogs! <laughs>